Let's turn to God's word this afternoon, Revelation 2 and 3. Last book of the Bible, Revelation 2 and 3. We'll read the message of the Lord Jesus to the church in Thyatira, Revelation 2, and to the church in Philadelphia, Revelation 3, 7 through 13. So the end of Revelation 2, 18 through 29. Page 1219 in your pew Bibles, 1219. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. We'll read that again in Philippians 3 to Philadelphia. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now down to 3 verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews but are not. They lie Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. And my own new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
Congregation, this is a call to persevere. Verse 11, I'm coming soon, says Jesus. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Hold fast what you have. This is God's word. May he bless us by it. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, a number of years ago, I met an elderly woman in a nursing home. One of my summer summer internships, her name was Josie. And when I would visit Josie, she would always recite to me her profession of faith verse. She loved that verse. She said it with great conviction every time she said it. Hold fast what thou hast so that no man may take thy crown. That was her profession of faith. She was in her 90s. She had made profession of faith at age 19. And she saw that verse as a call to persevere in her faith. And that's the verse I want to lay on us as a congregation, on these six young people, but on all of us. This is an age, a time of letting go. So many in the church are throwing it all away. I had a time in my life when I wanted to throw it all away so I could live the life that looked good to me. God, by his grace, prevented me. It's a call to persevere. I said to these brothers and sisters, we want to see your progress. That's a challenge. But there's a promise behind that challenge. God says, I've given you my son. All that you need for progress is there, ready, ready for you. You will never lack resources. It's the same for this call to persevere. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. That's an incredible challenge, but it's the God who holds on to you who says to you, hold on to me. Our trust is in him, not in our holding on. Our trust is in his holding on to us, not our holding on to him. But it's our call. We must. And only those who hold on will make it. It's a serious call. These brothers and sisters profess to continue in this profession of faith steadfastly by the grace of God. They said when we're as old as Josie in our 90s, we'll still believe this and hold on to this and live this. How can you do that? You rest in the grace of God. Hold fast what you have. We want to see three things. To have, to hold, and to hope. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. First, to have. Hold fast what you have. What do you have? 
What do you have? The call to hold fast to what we have is not just found in the book of Revelation and to the saints in Thyatira and Philadelphia. It was said to Moses, hold fast to your God and serve him all your days. It was said to Joshua, the end of the book of Joshua, hold fast to him, the Lord, and serve him. It says in Proverbs 4, verse 4, Solomon says to his son, let your heart hold fast to my words. Paul says to the Corinthians, this gospel saves you if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Paul says to the Philippians, do all things without grumbling and complaining as children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, holding fast to the word of life. And Hebrews 4 says, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, son of God, let's hold fast our confession. The Bible says, hold fast to God himself. Hold fast to his words. Hold fast to his gospel. Hold fast to your confession of Jesus Christ. Hold fast to what you have. He's not telling you to hold fast to what you don't have and still have to get. Whatever it is you need, go get it and then hold fast. No, no, hold fast what you already have. He's not telling us to hold fast what we have to work for by our own strength. No, hold fast to what you have. In other words, what you have received as a gift of God's grace. In God's covenant, we have so much. We have the Father who loves us and protects us and provides for all our needs. The Son who gave his life for us on the cross and rose for us to give us new life. The Spirit who lives in us creating faith and applying the forgiveness of sins to our lives and working in us to persevere in faith all the way to the end. We have so much. But if you just look at the message to the church in Philadelphia, you can see five things that they had. Five things they had in Christ. Number one, verse eight. I've set before you an open door. They had an open door. Hold fast to what you have. An open door? What's that? Chapter four, verse one. John says, I saw a door open into heaven and a voice speaking me to me through it. Come up here. An open door to heaven. Wow. That's quite something to have already now. An open door to heaven. Communion with God. Here and now. And then when you die. Going to be with the Lord Jesus. And then when he comes back. Heaven coming down to earth. Second thing we have. You have kept my word. Verse 8. You have my word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that saves you. Christ crucified and risen from the dead for your salvation. To erase all your sins, to give you new life, everlasting life. Third thing you have. Again, verse 8, you've not denied my name, you have my name. In his covenant, God has said, I am your God, you have me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have my name and all that I am and all that I stand for and all that I do and all my promises. 
My name is on you. Verse nine, they will learn that I have loved you. You have my love. You are loved by your God. It's one thing to be loved by your parents, by your friends on earth. It's another thing to be loved by the eternal, powerful, majestic, holy, and beautiful God who makes commitments to you and never breaks them. You have my love, my approval, my affection. And one more thing, I will keep you from the hour of trial. Verse 10, you have my promise of preservation. You're going to go through hard times. You're going to go through persecution. You're going to go through temptation. You're going to go through disappointment. You're going to go through sorrow. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to hold on to you. This is what you have. Don't throw it away. Hold fast to what you have, what wonderful gifts we have received through faith in Jesus Christ. They're promised to us in our baptism. They're possessed by faith. Brothers and sisters, we are truly the richest people in all the world when you consider what we have from God the Father through Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus wants the church in Philadelphia, a church under heavy persecution, to know that the world really has nothing for them compared to what their God has for them because sometimes they're tempted. If we just give in, we'll be accepted again, we'll get our jobs back again, people won't spit on us in the street, we'll not be thrown into prison, we'll not be tortured, we'll not be killed. It can be tempting to let go of spiritual riches in order to hold on to earthly things. You get a place on the team. You get a good job. You get freedom. You get a research grant. You get registered charity status. You get so many earthly things. The world says, we have something for you. God says, that's nothing compared to what I have for you and what you have in me. Hold fast to it, what you have. Will we remember that? That what we have from God in Christ is infinitely more and eternally better than anything the world can give you. Don't sell your birthright for a bowl of stew. Once was a guy, he did that in the Bible. Guy who sold his birthright for a pot of stew. You know his name? Front row. Esau. Esau. Did not go well for him. What God gives you in his covenant of grace, brothers and sisters, is wealth to die for. It really is. To live for and die for. To have. Secondly, to hold. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The word hold fast is a strong word in the Greek, which means grab on and hold tight. 
the used, word used for the soldiers when they arrested Jesus. They grabbed him and wouldn't let go. Or the word Jesus used about if your sheep falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, won't you grab him and lift him out? Well, that's a strong grab to grab your sheep and lift him out of the pit. Hold tight with all your might and don't let go. That's what it is. You have these great gifts from God, brothers and sisters. But we ask, wait, why do I have to hold on tight? Is my salvation really at risk? Can I really lose what Jesus purchased for me? We go through this theological reasoning. I was taught the perseverance of the saints, eternal security, that when you believe and are saved, you will never lose your salvation. You'll never lose your inheritance. So why do you have to hold fast? Well, three reasons. The first one is the best one. And it's simple. Jesus says so. You want to argue with him? You got better theology than the Lord? Hold fast. Jesus said so. I know. He has promised to hold on to us and never let us go. He said in John 10, I know my sheep, they'll never perish. No one can snatch them from my hand. My father is greater than all. No one can snatch them from my father's hand. But he commands us, hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Hebrews 10, let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So that's the first reason to hold fast. Jesus says so. Pretty good reason. And he says so in many places. Secondly, We're to hold on to what we have because there are many powers trying to pull you away from what you have. Tempting you to throw it away to have something else. Let me list a few things that tempt us to throw away what we have. False teaching. False teachings are really an attempt to add something to the gospel Or take something away from it so that the real truth is gone. We have something false that looks a little bit true. But it shipwrecks your faith. It could be something like the teaching that led Hymenaeus astray in 1st and 2nd Timothy. The final resurrection has already happened. A false teaching that destroys the hope of the believer. And by believing that, he shipwrecked his faith. Now, Paul was hopeful that through discipline and excommunication, he would see his sin and be restored. But he shipwrecked his faith. He was throwing it away. Here's another false teaching that's very common today. Ethics isn't part of the gospel. Ethics isn't part of the gospel. You can believe in Jesus and be saved and choose whatever lifestyle you want. That's up to you. Jesus don't care. 
That's a false gospel and it destroys, it deceives many. False teaching. Persecution and tribulation, secondly, pulls people away. The seed sown in the rocky soil stands for those who receive their word with joy and they believe for a little while but after a time of testing they fall away. They're afraid of what they'll lose. Their skin, their friends, their pensions, their positions, their power, their inheritance, earthly inheritance. My dad will write me out of the will. And so they decide I'll throw away the gospel in order to have some earthly possessions. Another temptation is worldliness, the pull of money, sports, pleasure, entertainment, luxury, and the desire for more. Somebody called, said to me the other day, that's the four-letter word, more. I want more. It is, isn't it? The desire for more, not more godliness, more stuff, more money, more amusement. That these things lead many away from the faith. And the love of this world pulls them away. And the Bible is clear. If you love the world, you can't love God. Worldliness. Laziness. The fourth one. Hebrews 6 verse 11, we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish or lazy but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We can lose heart, we can get lazy in our faith and give up on the promises they seem so out of reach and we can fade away. And one more, a fifth one, disappointment. People can disappoint you. Church leaders can disappoint you. Friends can disappoint you. Life can disappoint you. And disappointment can lead you to say, this isn't worth it. It is worth it. But the eye of the lie blinds us to the glory of what we have in Christ and to the importance of holding on to what we have in Christ. So I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to hold on. Hold on. This is an age of letting go. People are letting go of their faith letting go of the truth. Now I know that if you're a true believer and you let go, the Lord is going to interrupt your life, block your pathway, and call you back. Praise the Lord. But for some, it's because their faith isn't true. We know in the parable of the soils, remember that fourth soil, the good soil? They're the ones who hear the word and they hold it fast. Same word. They hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Three 
Three reasons to hold on. One, Jesus says so. Two, because there are many trying to pull us away. And three, holding fast is required for salvation. If we don't hold fast, we'll lose our crown, our heavenly reward. The Bible's clear. By the gospel, this gospel, Paul says to the Corinthians, you're being saved if you hold fast to it. Colossians 1, Paul says, Jesus reconciled you to God to present you faultless before God's throne if you continue in your faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting away from your hope. It's required for salvation. Since I must fight if I would reign, increase my courage, Lord, says the hymn writer. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. The thing about the church at Philadelphia is that though they were weak, they kept my word and have not denied my name. They have held fast to my word and not denied my name. They were weak. You have little power, he says to them. Not weak in faith, but they were weak in terms of possessions and power and size. Most of them were Christians from the lower class. They had no influence on government at all. And the church didn't have the power of numbers either. But they held on in spite of accusations, threats, and powers arrayed against them. They held on to the word. They held on to Jesus' name. You kept my word. You have not denied my name. They held to the word. They held to Jesus' name. Why? Why? Because by faith they knew that was the only power that could hold them fast. We hold fast to him, brothers and sisters, only because he holds on to us and will not let us go. That's the reason. It's his grace. It's required. But it's his grace. By the grace of God, I will continue steadfastly in this profession. Faith trusts in God's power to hold on to us. Faith trusts God's promise. I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, Lord, if that is true, then I'm going to throw my life into your hands and I'm going to go your way because I know you're going to keep me. We also, like Philadelphia, have no power or little power, right? We hold fast in hard times, times of temptation, of persecution, times of wanting to give up. Because we know he holds on to us. It's like a child holding on to his daddy's hand. They're about ready to go through some deep mud and daddy stretches out his hand and says to his son, hang on tight. The boy hangs on tight because he knows that his daddy's going to get him across. 
He obeys the command, hang on. But he trusts the hand of the one commanding him. He doesn't trust on, trust in his own hanging on. But he trusts the word he clings to. He trusts the name that has saved him. And that's really what holding on is all about. Not trusting in your work of holding on, but trusting in Jesus to be the one who's going to carry you when you take his hand. The one who's going to keep you to the end. Hold on. Because there's no other power in this world that will hold on to you. When your money is gone or you're dead, its hold is done. When your health is gone, its hold is done. It won't carry you any longer. But God's power is the power that doesn't let go. So we obey his command. Hold tight. The psalmist says in Psalm 73, you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. And in Psalm 63, the psalmist says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. My soul clings to you, but your right hand has got me surrounded and is holding on to me. And then the third thing, the hope. To have, to hold, and to hope. I am coming soon, says Jesus. He says at the end of the book, and my reward is with me. I'm coming. Now that word soon is a complicated word in the book of Revelation, but it's a serious word. He's coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The members of the synagogue of Satan wanted to snatch that crown away from the Philadelphian church. Claim that they had no right to. You believe in Jesus? He's a fraud. He's a traitor. If you believe in him, you're going to lose your inheritance. And they wanted to take away the crown from the Philadelphians. But the Philadelphians must not give in to the lies and the insults and the intimidation of the synagogue of Satan. The Jews who said they were the church of God but were not because they did not believe in Jesus Christ. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Don't sell off eternal life so you can stay here for this very short life. Or you can stay safe here for this very short life. Whatever safety you sell heaven for is not going to last very long. It's not worth the trade. 
you got gypped. Right? If you don't hold fast, you lose your crown. You lose your inheritance. And again, I know the elect will never lose their share in paradise. The Lord Jesus has opened a door for you that can't be shut. You have a place there reserved for you. Everyone whom Jesus purchased with his blood will hold fast and receive the crown. Jesus will lose none that the Father of all that the Father has given him to live and die for. But the reward, brothers and sisters, comes along the way of perseverance, endurance, and tribulations. As Paul says to the churches in Acts 14, who are wondering, we believed and now we're getting all this suffering. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations. But God in his grace says, keep fighting, keep going, Because there's a glorious crown on the other side that far outweighs anything you could suffer here on earth. James speaks about receiving from the Lord the reward of a crown of life. Paul speaks of the reward of a crown of righteousness. Paul speaks in another place of an imperishable wreath. Peter of the unfading crown of glory. What do you think? Will you wear a literal crown when you die and go to heaven? Maybe, but crown especially stands for as a sign of victory. As Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all who have longed for his appearing. Well, you know what that crown really is? It's Christ himself. You get to be with him. We shall see him as he is, 2 John 3, or 1 John 3. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory, Colossians 3, 4. Revelation 22, they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And the end of the the message to the Philadelphian church describes the crown, the reward of God this way. I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven. And my own name, my own new name. You get the name of my God, says Jesus, of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, and of Jesus himself, King of kings and Lord of lords, that's his new name. In other words, you're just going to be covered all over with the presence and the glory of God. As Isaiah says, it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God, we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. You have so much. Dear brothers and sisters, you have so much to hold. And it's worth everything you have to suffer and worry about here on earth. We live in a culture that's letting go. Churches are letting go. Professing Christians are letting go. People are throwing it away so they can have 
a little romp here on earth that lasts a little while and then it's all gone. And after that, hell. Eternal damnation. Was that worth it? Was that worth it? He is no fool. He is no fool who keeps what lasts forever. Hold on. Hold fast what thou hast so that no one may take thy crown. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Through Jesus, your son, you are reaching out to us and calling us to hang on, not to let go of the faith, to see that Christ alone is the only one worth having, who is our eternal glory and strength. Thank you, Lord, that we hold on to one who holds on to us. If we hold on to anything else, that thing will let go for sure. It will disappoint us. It will put us to shame, whatever promises it might make. But when we hold on to you, whoever trusts in the Lord will never be put to shame, will never be disappointed. We hold on to a God who holds on to us and saves us forever and brings us into the eternal glory of heaven on earth. What a Savior! What a hope. In Jesus we pray, amen.